Welcome back to the Voice in the Distance Ministries. Today we are in Leviticus chapter 17, and this is in regards to the sanctity of blood. You know, we uh, look at these things and we think to ourselves, oh gosh, I don't want to hear about this. But no, there's a very important aspect involved here. The blood of Christ we preach about and how it saves us. It's how it, how it redeemed us, right? And so we're looking at the beginning foundations of the sanctity of it. Now we're looking at the past tense, okay? But this again was the foundation to the pillars that brought us up to that of the blood of Christ. In uh, last, uh, last round in chapter 16, we studied on the Day of Atonement. See, this is what it's all about, right? The forgiveness of sins. And we were looking at the establishment of what God established in the form of, of how things worked. We're seeing the stepping stones of where things were to where we were led into our salvation with Christ Jesus. But, again, this was the design of God that we're looking at. And so, as always, I'm glad to be here doing what I do. Uh, reading the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, equipping the saints. And um, really just teaching the Bible from beginning to end. I just... Uh, enjoy doing that there is just so much in there that is just uh, so amazing and so beneficial at the same time so i hope again that we would look at this as just that an amazing beneficial book that saves lives and saves souls and equips people if we did what the bible said you know if you think about it if we did everything that the word of god said to do we would be in a better place. You know, in our society, in our marriages, our, our lives, our households, everything would be better. It's been proven. People who lived in, in certain lifestyles outside of the, uh, of the context of God's Word can attest to the suffering of things. And then those who obeyed the context of God's Word experienced... The things of better. Now, I'm not saying we won't ever go through particular trials and tribulations, but we definitely do things a little better when we follow God's Word. We live a little better. We walk a little better. And so, I want us to look at things uh, differently here as we go through the book of Leviticus that, that still, that, that the obedience that was portrayed here caused people to be better because they were in God's good graces through obedience and through through the sacrifice and the obedience. But God always prefers obedience over sacrifice. But what we're seeing here is, is the blueprints of the sacrifice of the what and why. So let's go ahead and take a look here. We're going to be in, in chapter 17. And uh, first we'll be doing verses 1 through 4. And it said, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and saying to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or a goat at, uh, in the camp or who, who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man, and he, sh- uh, and he has shed blood. And that man shall be cut off from among the people. Now, you read this and you think, gosh, why? You know, that sounds pretty harsh, God. Well, these were the instructions of God on what, why, and when. Right? This, this, 
God did not instruct somebody just to go and merely slaughter an animal. Okay, this was done particularly for a purpose. Okay, and, and, and then on top of it, he gave, an, he gave the instructions on what to do and where to bring it and when. Why? Because again, as I've mentioned before, if you're listening for the first time, the book of Leviticus, in the laws that were given to the people, were due to the things that neighboring countries were doing in the pagan aspects. So why God uh, created these laws was because it was to make a better way compared to the, the pagan neighbors who were doing things that were detestable to God. You would bring it to the door of the tabernacle meeting because, again, in, in the neighboring world there of the pagan, uh, it was customary for them to, they would sacrifice whenever they wanted. Okay, they would build their particular altars wherever they wanted. They did whatever they wanted. <laughs> and that's something that God doesn't exactly want from us because that leads us into dangerous places. Okay, so they had to come to the tabernacle of the meeting because the, the sacrifice had to be performed by the priest. Now, what he meant by being cut off from among the people it means being exiled from their community. So this was it was excommunication. So again, this is the, this was a cultural thing too, the, the culture of the of the world back then and what they did. It, it was something that God wanted to make sure that that we were or that they were not doing. He gives us what to do and what not to do. So yes, they were prohibited from certain things in certain times. And so what God does is he he gives the Israelites the um the the instructions because it helps to resist the temptation, okay? The pagan patterns of life constantly cause people to go astray. Right? Because it, the the Israelites will fall into what they call idolatry. And idolatry is worshiping other idols. Idolatry is a form of spiritual adultery. Because because we belong to God. And, and performing and dealing with idolatry is is kind of like having an having a spiritual affair with a lesser person or a non-existent one and that angered God to the max. So again, God wanted to make sure that they were not practicing cultural pagan customs. You know what's interesting is I never thought much about it, but when I think of the word culture, and I, and I love culture. I'm a very cultural person. I love different foods, and I love uh, different things and how uh, things are done, and you know languages and whatever have you. I'm, I'm very fascinated with culture. But what's interesting is, is if you look at the word culture, the first four words is cult. <laughs> so um, it, it's the acts of like a, that of a cult, and, and so. God wanted to make sure that they knew what they were doing. Uh, let's see here. Let's take a look at verse 5 through 7 real quick. And it says, Now, to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, uh, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. 
They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons, after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generation. So on top of it, they were offering it to, to demons, it looks like here. And so... So again, to honor God was to establish a particular place, a special place. And so when, when somebody came to that tabernacle of meeting, it, the, God's appointed priest was there. Okay, So they were to stop their sacrifice to the demons. Now, what's interesting here is, is the, the word here that was translated uh, for demons is, is a, a Hebrew word called ser. Okay, S-A-I-R. And, and the translation of that means like goat. Uh, kind of like a, the, the long-haired goat. And I thought to myself, I was just like, that is very interesting. Um, because uh, the ancient Egyptians worshipped such a thing. And if you're familiar with, um, if you've ever seen pictures of uh, particular like satanic emblems and, and pictures you will see a lot of times a form of a pentagram with a goat's head on it and then also there's a, there's been statues that have been put up in uh, particular satanic uh, sections if you will where people have put up their um, their gathering places whatever it is is kind of like a, a, a man sitting on a chair with a, with a goat's head on it so it's interesting how this translation came into play with this so there were goat idols referred to as demons. And so God did not want the people to make this kind of sacrifice in the desert or in the promised, or in the promised land where they were supposed to be heading. Okay, Because this was, again, something that was very, um, very predominant, very dangerous ground to be playing on. And so God told him, do not play the harlot. Or after the, uh, don't be after those who have played the harlot. Why? Because Israel... Israel was considered like the bride, right? Israel's the bride of God. And if you have a bride, the most angering thing that happened to a husband is for the bride to go after another. And so that is a very dangerous thing. The jealousy, the jealousy of a man is, is, is a dangerous thing, but the jealousy of God is even more so. So don't play the harlot, right? That, that's what he's saying. Don't play the harlot. That's why I said that idolatry is spiritual adultery. You know, it could also be looked at as a form of prostitution with other gods, if you will. And so, we look at a lot of the Hebrew words here. You know, the, the term that was used was, was going astray. And, and it's funny because we look at like the, the the difference between the sheep and the goats. You know, in the biblical terms, we've heard the um, the separation of the sheep and the goats. And what's interesting too is is how that kind of works out. You know, in uh, in New Zealand, lambs. Okay, lamb is is one of the um, the the largest distributor of meat that New Zealand produces every year. Somewhere between thirty to forty million lamb around the year uh, around the world are produced every year. But while those lambs are being raised, what is baffling, and I know I've mentioned this before, but what is baffling is is that 
there is another animal that dwells amongst them that they call a Judas goat. And a, a Judas goat is a castrated male goat that is basically trained to dwell amongst these lambs. And then when it comes time to the day of slaughter, they, they've done one of two things. They, uh, the, the Judas goat actually leads these lambs into a truck off to the uh, butcher, if you will. And then I also heard of somebody who's actually witnessed this, that they actually have like this giant conveyor thing where the, uh, it's like a conveyor belt where the sheep would actually go onto the conveyor belt and they would aimlessly and unknowingly um, drop into this machine, killing them. Now, the Judas goat would, f- would go on there first and they would follow the Judas goat, but the Judas goat knows when to get off. It would get off and step off and sit there and watch them fall in one by one. This was witnessed by somebody uh, in New Zealand. Uh, he was another pastor who mentioned this. And so how fitting that, that God said not to worship this particular, or any demon for that matter, but this particular one. Now let's look at 8 and 9 real quick. And it says, Also you shall say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell among you, who offers a burnt offering or a sacrifice, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. Now, the command to bring every sacrifice was, was again, it was a covenant thing here. It was a covenant thing that God commanded. A covenant from before with Abraham, okay, with Isaac and Jacob, but now towards the, the nation of Israel. So this was one of those things to where God gives the command and the, and the instruction and, and he's kind of making sure that if look, if you don't want to get cut off uh, from the family, <laughs> this is what you're not to do. And, and so, this was this was important to them, right? Because because being being rejected, being uh, being kicked out like that, I, I don't know what would have happened because again, they were all in there together within the camp. They're in this vast desert. And, and, and there's probably somewhere around a couple million people. And, and to be kicked out and, and, and to be excommunicated in this vast desert had to be a form of torture. Very, very sad if you think about it. Community rejection. <laughs> you know, and, and so this was an outlawing, right? You were, you were outlawed from your own people, isolated. You know, right now as we speak, we are going through this, uh, what we call the, this coronavirus here in 2020. And we have, uh, the numbers keep rising. And, and for people that get sick, you know, they have to be isolated in a hospital room or in their house. And and to my understanding, just that alone has been a form of mental torture on people. Isolation is is mental torture. God created us as 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 like beings of fellowship, right? And and so to be in isolation, to be on the outs is a form of torture to us. And and so back then, you know, they didn't have technology, they didn't have phones, they had no way of, of communication. 
It had to be worse. When Cain killed Abel, God sentenced him to isolation in the earth. And he was, he was going to be a vagabond, basically. And, 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 and he pleaded with God not to, not to have that happen to him. Because even Cain knew that the, the ostracizing of society was going to be a form of torture that he, not even he could handle. So again, we look at this here as, as of like, okay, pay close attention. You know, you don't want to be exiled. <laughs> you don't want to be sent out of, of, from your family and from those that you knew, your friends. And God created us as social beings here. So we look at this and we think that, that wow, right? But there was good reason for this. Why? Because what happens, what happens when one person starts to develop a particular thing? Other people follow. So yes, I, I see what God was doing here. When you have to take one person and excommunicate them, it, it actually keeps them from corrupting others. I, um, you know, I like to eat berries. You know, I got blueberries, uh, strawberries, blackberries, whatever the case, raspberries. And I have to keep an eye on those things. Why? Because whenever one starts to develop a little bit of mold, it starts to ruin the batch. You, you must take the one that has grown the mold on it and, and, and trash it, excommunicate it, because it eventually spreads to the other fruit. So this is what it came down to. This was a prevention of spreading the disobedience of this stuff. Because, again, it did end up happening in Israel. Pagan practices came in and it spread. It spread so bad that, that, oh gosh, God became extremely angry with what had happened there. 10 and 12 says, And whatever man of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood, and will cut him off from amongst his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Nobody's to do it, right? <laughs> who in the right mind would want to do that? Well, again, other things. People did this stuff as, as rituals. They still do. Why in the world they'd want to do that is, is beyond uh, beyond me or anybody in their right mind. But they they do it for, the, for as part of their cultic uh, uh, system, if you will. And, and so, again, God is preventing. Now, this isn't just a matter of, of something that's disgusting. This was a prevention of of many things that could spread disease, right? Because again. We're looking at both the spiritual and the physical. Okay, because the blood of an animal or a person was in the life of that of that person or animal and, and but also it could also carry disease. And so the the power of the sanctity of blood as God said that the, the blood is, is the representation of life. You know, as long as blood is circling the heart then that means that, that life is in the body. But when, when, when blood exits the body, that's an indication of death. But we are not to partake of that. Right? Nobody was. 
But he said, I, I set the blood aside for the atonement. When God commands sacrifices to be had, it's to be drained completely as much as possible. You know, uh, still today to this day, um, if you look at like um, uh, Jewish rabbis at times will uh, make sure that, that, that the meats that are uh, being uh, consumed have been completely washed and, and made sure that there's no blood anywhere in the inspection. I uh, have a friend of mine who's retired uh, from the railroad industry. And it was interesting because he said he would witness at times the trains having to stop for the rabbis to inspect uh, kosher meats to be uh, to be brought in, and the rabbi would actually take the hose himself and wash it, and they would pray over it, the the, the any of the meat that was on the trains that were being delivered. And, and so we took it; they took it very seriously to this day, and, and it's a good thing. You know, if if you go to the meat department and you see blood inside the package, which we do from time to time, they wouldn't touch it. <laughs> so, um, the significance, right? The significance in it, right? Life belongs to God. God created it. So He says, "I will, I will set my face against the person who takes that, uh, who takes the authority to in, uh, into himself to to uh, take someone's blood, if you will, or consume it." Right? Because, again, life depends on it. Life is preserved by blood. And so, as he said, the blood was set aside for the atonement. And, and, and we take this and we think to ourselves, like, wow, you know, I never thought of it that way. But it, but it was important. Right? It, it was important. We, we weren't to profane what God had created. And so, we want to look at this too and, and, and realize that, you know, deep down we really do kind of practice a lot of this stuff without even knowing it. Right? We, we don't even think about it sometimes. You know, we're not going to consume blood ourselves and we're not going to eat stuff with blood on it. Well, God commanded it. So let's keep looking here at 13 to 14. It says, Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all the flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all the flesh is its blood. Whoever eats of it shall be cut off. So whatever man of the house of Israel or or the strangers who dwell amongst you, this goes to everybody. So basically if an animal was caught and killed, like for hunting if you will, it had to be properly bled, right? In, in like the form of a butcher. A butcher would have to do that. And then he would he would cover it, right, in the ground with dust. So why this with the animal? Because let's look at it this way, right? The, the, on one hand, blood represented the, the life of the sinner. Okay, it's infected by his sin and, and it's heading for death. But on the other hand, we take the blood that represents the innocent life of the animal that was sacrificed in the place of the guilty person. That's what made the offering. So the death of the animal, of which you know the blood was the proof of, it, it, it fulfilled its penalty. And then God would say that you're forgiven by that. 
But again, that's why the that's why eating or drinking of it was prohibited. We could look back all the way uh, back to the time of Noah in Genesis chapter nine. You know, God prohibited eating and drinking of blood for several reasons. Okay, first and foremost, to to discourage the the pagan practices. It was common in pagan practices; still is in certain parts of the world. They they believe that that consuming the blood of certain animals would give them like strength and the speed of of something. So if if they drank the blood of a cheetah, they, you know they could run seventy miles per hour now or some crazy thing. You know they they had all of these these aspects of of what they could do. And, and so it was a matter of respect for life because it, it was precious. And so we want to make sure that that we follow from from the aspects here of what God is saying. That nobody should ever be one who uh, spills blood or consumes blood in an ungodly manner. Let's see here. Now let's uh, let's take a look at. Uh, I think it was fifteen to sixteen. And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beast, whether he is a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes, uh, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. And then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. He shall bear his guilt. That's interesting. Because if somebody came upon an animal that had died... Uh, you know, by natural causes, um, or if there was some sort of accident, uh, the animal uh, uh, died in some form of an accident, then then it would most likely be fine. But not something that was ripped apart. <laughs> okay, so these were some these were things that God again was prohibiting for many reasons. They, they had to wash and wait for a new day until evening. And then, and then they were ceremonially clean. Now he said there, if somebody were to not do this, they they would remain in this place of of impurity. That he said that they that he shall bear his guilt. The, bearing the guilt was was basically a form, of, kind of like that form of conviction, if you will, of, of disobedience. And so, we look at, however, like Jesus is God himself. He is the last sacrifice. He was the last sacrifice that was ever needed in this form. Right? And this was asking us to identify with him completely by receiving him. He wants, he wants us to take his life into us. But what's really neat about him is that he also wants to participate in our lives. We have so many misconceptions of God and misconceptions of Christ himself. And I want to make sure, again, that, that when we look at this, we look at this with clarity. This is what had to be done then. But but God had it in the works to have it done once and for all. Saying that, that this isn't going to be 
and necessary thing forever. I have a perfect sacrifice. I have a perfect atonement. And really everybody was going to appreciate it so much more. And oh, how do we? We have access now. We have access to come to Christ. We don't have to go to the priest anymore. Uh, We don't have to have uh, an animal sacrifice. We come to Him in prayer and we ask for our, our forgiveness. And he grants, us, he grants us our forgiveness when we've asked in truth. So where are you standing right now is the question. Do you, do you stand in, in disbelief? Do you stand in, in maybe a question of like, well, I, I think I believe, but I just, uh, I just don't know if I want to receive him. He, he doesn't force anybody. He doesn't force anybody to, to receive him, but he, he wants to have you. Because he died for you. He died for the world. It said it in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And that whosoever should believe in him shall have everlasting life. So believing in him is the key. But if you could believe in him and receive him and say... I do believe in him and I and I did receive him. I, I don't just know of him, I know him personally. I'd like to give you an option to receive him personally. It's you saying a prayer that's going to welcome him into your heart, into your life. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to say, Welcome. Welcome home. (laughs) I would love to have you. I'm so glad I've been waiting for you for so long. Well, if you feel that, this stuff could be a little confusing at first. Everything that that we're reading from Leviticus. Really, it was because sin is horrific in the eyes of God. So therefore, the sacrifices were horrific. If we chose to do wrong, then that's what had to be done. But the better way came in Christ Jesus. So the best way possible right now is for you to receive him if you want to go to heaven, if you want to have a a place with him. Because he wants to have a place with you. Repeat this prayer with me. In receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. That God will be your Father. He will be there. And and you will be with Him. And when your time is up, He'll have a place for you. A place with Him and with many others that will love you for all of eternity. That's what the stepping stone was all about. So if you feel led, let's pray together. Dear God, please forgive me. Forgive me of all of my sins, Lord. As I confess that I am a sinner. And I ask of you, Lord, to wash me and cleanse me of all my sins. As I receive you now into my heart, Father Lord, I receive you as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for receiving me. And Lord, 
I now am a part of you, Lord. May I walk with you all the days of my life. As I receive you now, Father, Lord, as your child, and you're my Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. I hope you said the prayer. Because that is, again, saving the best for last, as we like to say, right? So, always a pleasure, always an honor to be a part of you in any way. You know, God is so happy if you've said this prayer. You know that the Bible says that all of, uh, all of heaven rejoices when one person gives their heart to the Lord. That when, when a sinner turns their ways and, and receives the Lord, all of heaven's rejoicing just for you. They did for me. They did for everyone else that has ever given their lives. So congratulations if you have. And if I don't see you down here at one point, oh, I can't wait to see you up there. So may God bless you, may He keep you, and may you walk in strength, faith, and truth. God bless you.